Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast Operations at Voice America for that wonderful intro. Love his voice. I'm Bonnie D. in the house. I have got a packed house, such interesting people, and they're here to help me with, this is week six of my seven-week 2022 crystal ball prediction special, and that's a mouthful. So happy to have everybody here. We've got 10 guests today. They all showed up. Oh my goodness, who knew? Guests, before I introduce you, I want you to wave at LinkedIn, wave at Facebook. You are all live and you're all gorgeous and you're all smart and you're going to tell us something we don't know about something that's important to you. But before I introduce you, let me do my opening here. I have five movie quotes and then a question for all of you. So number one is from Margot Channing, played by the one and only Betty Davis, the film All About Eve, 1950, 1950 drama film. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy night. I always like that when I introduce a prediction show. <laughs> Quote number two, this is Miss Fran Kubelik, played by Shirley MacLaine, to Calvin Clifford, Bud Baxter, played by Jack Lemmon. The movie, I can hear the theme, The Apartment, 1960, romantic comedy, Shut Up and Deal. Anybody remembers the apartment, you'll know what that scene was. Buzz number three, this is from Buzz Lightyear, Tim Allen's voice, Toy Story, 1995. Can you believe how long ago that was? Computer animated comedy film, To Infinity and Beyond. When we're talking predictions, why not? Buzz number four, Cher Horowitz, you may not remember, Alicia Silverstone in Clueless, 1995, also teen comedy, As If. I love that. How many of us haven't said that in our lives? As if. That's where I think it came from. Or maybe they copied us. And buzz number five. This is from, oh my goodness, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, 2006. We're a more modern action-adventure film. And the, the quote is, James Norrington, played by Jack Davenport, says, you actually were telling the truth. And Captain Jack Sparrow, of course, Johnny Depp says, I do that quite a lot. Yet people are always surprised. I thought this was a great collection of quotes. So could you, all of my panelists, and I'll introduce you in a minute, could you have predicted that today, almost 22, it's 22 years into a new millennium, we'd still yeah. be quoting Margot 70 years later, we'd still be quoting yeah. Frank Kubelik 60 years later, at least I am, Buzz and Cher 25 years later, and Norrington and Captain Sparrow 15 years later. Okay, so if you can put that, anybody here think you would have just been quoting or listening to quotes? Anybody wave hello. If you, Some of these quotes are just so iconic. I love as ifs, but to infinity beyond, is that classic or what? So if you're hoping, and I'm talking to our global audience now, if you're hoping to gaze into a crystal ball, I should have one, to see what 20 2022 holds for your community, your company, your industry, your world. We've got the next best thing. On my seven-week special this year, I'm bringing you 60 thought leaders. I think it's even more than that. Covering the exciting technologies, strategies, and trends that can help you and your business and your company and your community grow and compete if that's what you want to do better this year and beyond. We're live today. It's January 19th. It's my granddaughter Sarah's birthday. I won't tell you how old she is because then you'll know how old I am. We have 10 visionaries who are going to share their savvy predictions for the year ahead and beyond. So to my listeners, pour a cup of Joe or Earl, 
pour a glass of Jack or Bailey, or if you've got any leftover Dom or some Jim. I think I covered all the guys and all the liquids, and we'll talk to Bill about that in a minute. Join me for Technology Revolution, the future of now, 2022 Crystal Ball Predictions Part 6, live, and I'm just going to say, working together, let's all make 2022 a so much better year. So really applaud that. I think we're that's what all we all want here. That's why we're all here. And a shout-out to Aaron Keller, my engineer with the nerves of steel. So let me introduce my guests. I'll read your name and just a little tiny bit about you. Wave for the live audience. We're being heard on Voice America Business, but we're being seen and watched on LinkedIn and Facebook Live. So we have Anjali DeGay, and she is the owner of Code Ninjas Charlotte, comprised of Code Ninjas Concord and Code Ninjas Valentine, giving students a unique resource to enhance problem-solving, critical thinking, mathematical and logical skills, having fun and building games. Anjali, welcome. We have John Lester. He just told me he has a new company. He founded Attitude Selling. I like that. A boutique consulting practice, and he'll tell us a little bit about that in his predictions. Clea Simon is with us, Boston Globe, best-selling author of three nonfiction books and nearly 30 mysteries, including her psychological suspense, Hold Me Down. And she writes, Cat Cozies, Amateur Sleuth, and Darker crime fiction. Welcome, Clea. Bill the Wine Guy, Bill Newman. A lot of my listeners and viewers will know Bill. He is a tech and manufacturing advisor by day and a wine enthusiast and beverage influencer by night. He educates, introduces, and promotes the wines from Fine Wine, California, Oregon, and Washington State. And he's a candidate for the WSET Level 3 in wine and an Oregon wine expert. Welcome, Bill. The other side of Bill Newman. Patricia Worcester is here. She's a former corporate executive in software turned traditionally published author, Patricia only has 13 books. I wish she'd get started doing something already, Patricia. Seriously. She founded Worcester Media, W-O-O-S-T-E-R Media. She helps transform leaders, entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers, and thought leaders into published authors who amplify their message through high-impact books. That's the best kind. We have Dale T. Phillips with us. He has published novels, short stories, collections, nonfiction, and over 70 short stories. And his writing teacher in college was none other than Stephen King. How exciting was that? Dale competed on Jeopardy and he says he lost in a spectacular fashion and he's a member of the Mystery Writers of America and the Sisters in Crime. Dr. George Vinay is with us. He's a psychotherapist, a poet, a magician, a storyteller, a speaker and author of the upcoming books The Fathering Thread, The Protecting Veil and The Wedding of Eros and Psyche. He not only has a doctorate and master's in clinical psychology, he's got a BS degree in theater and he's a wonderful performer and teaches kids storytelling and I love to talk to George. We have Karen Gibson with us. Wave Karen. She's a parent coach and founder of Letting Go with Aloha. I have to say that calmly because that's what it is. She coaches overwhelmed moms to be moms with peace. Hello. During the pandemic, Karen recorded 100 parenting tips for her YouTube channel and Instagram, and she turned them into a book. How about that? You could all do that too. Deslin Hakias. I am pronouncing her now. I had to rehearse this one. J-A-Q-U-I-A-S. And she is the owner of Kawi Girl and Healing with Aloha Brands and author of the upcoming book, Letters to My Sister Kiala. Welcome, Deslin. And last but not least, there's Ryan Walsh. Hello, Ryan. Ryan served three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. Thank you for your service, Ryan. And Ryan is the, co- I get I get chills when I say that. And Ryan is the co-founder and CEO of Valkyrie's patented drone delivery station. What a pack panel. What interesting people you all are. I am so honored that you're with me today. Let's get the party started. Anjali, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please regale us with your predictions? Three minutes on the clock, Anjali, go. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So um, thanks, Bonnie, for having me on your show again. Uh, it's been fun, uh, just to say the least. 
Um, so my name is Anjali, and Codenages in Concord and Ballantyne. Um, so I have focused my predictions around really technology and the future of technology around schools and colleges, primarily K-12. Um, and one of the things I think, you know, that's so telling from your quote, Spani, is thinking about like the pandemic from 20 years ago, had it happened 20 years ago, I really too, truly believe that the economy would have collapsed. Uh, remote working would not have been possible. Kids in K through 12, colleges, universities would not have been able to advance in school, would truly have lost, truly have lost an entire year or two of schooling. So as we know that the, the idea of technology is to create more streamlined, efficient way of doing things, but what we currently find is that the stressors that have been placed on the teachers over the past two years have really increased as opposed to, oppo as opposed to decreased uh, teachers pivoting into a tech-driven world to educate, inspire, and motivate students who are, the stressors have basically increased. And because the stressors have increased, um, these kids who are actually learning in such different ways, i.e. YouTube and vlogs and podcasts, they're arguably smarter, arguably, than the teachers uh, in looking at the technology that they've literally been born with, with cell phones and tablets in their hands. Um, so with that, my predictions. Uh, so the first one is that um, we will continue the continued integration of technology in school. So some software technologies that schools have actually invested thousands of dollars in and across the U.S., millions of dollars in from states, you know, from states pushing money down um, over the past two years, a lot of them will actually get pushed aside. Um, we're looking at the last couple of days over here in Charlotte. There was a snowfall. There's more coming up here in the next couple of days. Schools are still closing down and we're not utilizing the technology that we've actually put into place. Part of me is really glad with that because kids need to be able to play out in the snow, quite honestly. But part of it is also that that pushing from one technology to another, being face-to-face -to, -face to pushing into technology creates a lot of angst. Um, but on the other side of that, the flip side of that is that every child now has a Chromebook across the United States, which is incredible and other devices that were purchased. And so while students will start now at an earlier age learning on a laptop as opposed to a tablet, so instead of you know dragging and dropping things, um, they're actually going to start learning how to type. Again, they're going to start learning at such a faster level on these technologies and software applications that things like cybersecurity are going to start coming into the world a little bit more, and they're going to have a better understanding of it at a younger age. Um, prediction number two uh, is the long-term need for professionals to get involved. So the next challenge that our public K through 12 elementary school systems um, are going to have is that teachers mm -hmm. can't keep up with the pace of change in the current technological world that our children are growing up in. Um, what we see in the real world, uh, the professional world, if you will, with the, with the changes of blockchain and Bitcoin and, you know, all of these other advances that are taking place, there's no way for our teachers to keep up with that in order to bring it back to the school for them to learn. Um, students are also, as I mentioned before, they're learning on YouTube uh, what they can't find at school. So from that perspective, I think it's going to be really important that, you know, the prediction in and of itself with the robust number of teachers that are seeking to retire due to the pandemic um, and or low salary, the education systems are going to start breaking down over the next year or two with the traditional way of teaching and start embracing a new breed of teachers that are retiring from the professional world to bring these learning programs into the classroom or that are coming out of colleges and universities with that much more knowledge base of the technology and systems ahead. Um, the 
Next one that I wanted to talk about real quick was, um, and let me know if I'm running over on my time, because I'm trying to talk fast, but I don't want to be too fast. 30 um, seconds. Thank you. So I'll lean over the next one, personalized learning. I think that over the next year or two, the trends that we've seen already are going to continue with teacher, with parents having the ability of becoming more involved with their child's education. Um, and you're also going to start seeing a lot more corporations like IBM, Apple, Delta, continuing to push an envelope and getting involved with creating schools within low-income opportunities to provide STEM opportunities for those kids. And alas, my husband would be remiss if I didn't mention this last one, which is completely different from curriculum and technology in schools and things like that, but battery technology. This is something that I think that with the increase of um, electric vehicles, battery technology is going to have to evolve this year with longer lasting lower cost, quick charging, and smaller battery size. Um, advancements are also going to be made in wireless charging, things like wireless charging for vehicles, um, and it's going to lead to a whole new set of vehicles in the future. So those are my predictions. Thank you, Anjali. Very interesting. You certainly spanned different, different genres, different interest areas. Thank you so much. John Lester, you're up. Speak Thank to me. Thank you, Bonnie. Happy Welcome. New Year. Thank you. And just to quickly share with you, since you were good enough to share with us, I always like Mae West, too much of a good thing is not enough. <laughs> you and I may be the only two who even know who Mae I West know. is, but it, bravo. I think Bill Newman might remember her, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, go, Bill's Google nodding. It. Okay, go but ahead, the theme, John, you're up. The theme on this is really um, everything old is new again, and just from a perspective, uh, what I've noticed over the years is that technology applications and utilizations tend to take first place different. So at one point, we didn't have enough horsepower in our technology, so we built more horsepower. Then we didn't know what to do with it. Then we built more apps. Then we needed more horsepower. So what's really kind of interesting to me is I think we have probably as much technology right now as we need. We have a whole lot of advancements and a whole lot of firepower in things like big data, in AI, in, in, in machine learning, in robotics, in gamification, and in biofuels. And what I'm going to suggest as a major challenge for this year is to look at, and I'm going to point to a, a few specific situations, to look at these from a three-pronged perspective. The problem, what is the problem? What is your perspective on the problem? In other words, what do you want to solve? And what products do you then want to use in order to do that? Because I think right now from a societal perspective um, and what COVID has, has really taught us is we've got some really big weak points. One of them is in the area of precious metals and precious metals from the perspective of how they're being utilized in things like chip technology. If you look at the, the problem we have right now in producing computers and producing cars, to one extent, it's a precious metals issue. All right. Supply chain manufacturing is another big problem that we have. Remote work is another big issue that we have. And vaccine development, not from the political side, but from the predictive side. So let me talk about these just for a second, go backwards. Vaccine development, as an example, we look at vaccine development as reactive. We have a problem, we develop a vaccine. All right, we were uh, extremely fortunate, I think, that the scientists were able to get out the most recent, recent um, spate of, of vaccines in a relatively short period of time. But as an example, there are a number of scientists that are now saying, wait a minute, why don't we look at it proactively? Why don't we look at the bigger picture? Why don't we look at it and say, what do we think might be the next problems for humankind? And they've identified something like 126 
animal situations or animal problems. And they're saying, why don't we see if we can develop baseline vaccines for these things before they become a problem. And then when one of them does rear its head in the human side, now at least we should be able to develop the vaccine in 30 days. So it's, it's a different way. It's a different way of looking at the problem, looking at the perspective that you want to chase it, and then see what products you have available to it. Remote work also. We all know how to be in our, in our rooms and um, remotely work. We're doing it right now. But have we really solved all of the issues of, of the psychological problems in this, of the detachment issues, of the engagement issues? Have we really figured out, have we used gamification to make work more interesting? So I'm, again, looking at this from what is the problem? What's your perspective on how you want to solve it? Supply chain to me is one of the biggest issues right now. Supply chain to me has been a problem that we thought we could solve by going and finding the lowest cost producer so we could do just in time. But we discounted such things as the political climate around the world. Right? There are lots of, lots of countries that don't think the way we do. Right? So from day one, they might say, fine, we're going to sell you this particular product or this particular service. And day two, they're going to say, wait a minute, I'm going to jack my price 10 times because the politics have changed. But we haven't really built that into our supply chain. And that, that holds true also for the precious metals replacement. Do we really need precious metals to solve the problems that we're trying to solve, to make our chips go faster, to power our computers and to power our cars? I don't know. I mean, years ago, the only way we had to power mobility was the internal combustion engine. Today, we have electric. United Airlines, a few weeks ago, I remember reading, had powered its first commercial flight on sustainable fuels not just fuel. So my point here is that this year, I think we need to not worry quite as much on discrete technologies, but rather think about what is the problem we're trying to solve and how do we make sure that business and industry still has the profit motivation in solving a component of it, but that we have a comprehensive solution to solving the problem. And it's going to have to come from business Government, and this is, this is not a, a, a poke at, at politics in any way, government isn't designed to solve problems like this. It's just not what we do. Industry has to do it, but industry has to be willing to share and to embrace their partners in industry so that we can solve some of these problems, get the kids back to learning, get us back to being social, things of that nature. Hope that helps, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting, John. We appreciate your attitude adjustment, I think, which is which is the area your new company is in. Thank you. Just in, in one sentence, what does your new company do, John? Looks at foundational perspective in order to be successful in sales. And we're going to extend that into business in general. It's going back to, you know, how you perceive something, what your why is. That's the popular question these days. Thank you very much. Let's go My to Cle- Thank you and happy new year to you too. Clea Simon, you're up next year. I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead and, and regale us. Clea, welcome. Thank you. And thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me here. This is just wonderful to do again. Um, well, I think to some extent what I'm going to start with isn't going to surprise anybody. However, however, there is a twist. Um, I'm going to stick with my with my story since I'm an author and say, as always, what we're going to see in the future is that content is going to be king. No matter what you're talking about, and I'm looking at the field of entertainment, books, TV, movies, streaming, anything, what you need is a story. Yes, there's a place for the reality-based things, and of course we all know they're really scripted too, but what people really want is a narrative. They want a hero to root for, they want a villain to boo, they want something to happen, and they want it all to be tied up by the last episode. 
So my my overarching prediction for the year coming up is that again, once again, content is king, story is king. What I do think is interesting though, is that what we're seeing, and we're already beginning to see the edges of this, is that we don't necessarily care whether or not that story is true or not. So fact and fiction are esteemed to be, they're gonna be equally popular. You can already see it in what's coming out now, what people are watching. Uh, people love fiction like uh, Euphoria or, um, I'm trying to think so, or The Tomorrow War. But at the same time, you've got these these uh, movies, you've got these TV series that are based on memoir, that are based on fact, that are also dealing really well. The Tender Bar, which is wonderful, is, is based on a great book, and it's but it's somebody's story. It's a true story. Uh, you also have Being the Ricardos, which, okay, is Aaron Sorkin's take on uh, Lucy and Ricky, but, you know, it's still based on fact, and people love it. People just want that story, whether or not it's based in fact or not. One thing, the second thing, I guess, that I'm finding very interesting is after what we've all been through with the pandemic, you'd think people would just want the fun stuff. I mean, for me, that would be the cozy. You'd think people <laughs> would want the happy endings, the fairy tales. And there are a lot of those out now. Disney is doing, you know, bang up business. It's going to continue. Pixar, all that, they're going to continue to do great. But people aren't shying away. And I don't think they're going to shy away from the sad stories. Maybe it is, you could say psychologically, because it reflects something about how we're feeling. But people are really radiating to things like, like, I, like uh, yellow jackets, um, you know, real kind of downer heavy stuff. And it's like, wow, we still have the stomach for this. You know, maybe we're more grown up than we thought. But the third uh, element, and this I think is really surprising. I, if you had asked me last year at this time, what I would have thought of pandemic fiction or pandemic stories, I would have said, no way, 10 years from now we'll be ready for that. We're not going to be ready for that now. I mean, you know, we're still dealing with all this stuff. And, you know, it's still, for a lot of people, it's very much a reality. But but people want it. it people people are going to, uh, in, in books, Gary Steingart's Our Country Friends. Um, in TV, Station Eleven, which is about a pandemic, even though it was written years ago. People are lapping it up. So I think, once again, people want to see their real lives, the real things they're dealing with, played out. Maybe it's because we want to see our stories, but we want our stories to happy end, have a happy ending. But either way, we want a story. We want someone we can root for. We don't necessarily care if that story is true or not. Sometimes we're in the mood for something light and fluffy that just makes us feel good. Sometimes we're in the mood for something heavier that sort of reflects maybe not our actual physical truth, but our emotional truth. So I say going forward, story is king. But other than that, no holds barred. All stories are going to work. Thank you so much, Clea. I'm reflecting on what I've been watching recently, and I find that I gravitate toward the 2021 series, but then there's a limited amount because of production constriction because of COVID. So I'm finding myself, I just started watching 24. It was almost 20 years ago. I'm looking at the ages of the actors now. He's 55. What? He was 32. What? And I'm also watching something called Death in Paradise because these series have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven seasons. And once I start into them and get to know the characters and the style, I want to see more. I don't want to keep finding something new. Oh my God, they had three three episodes. Vera was over. I did ten seasons and I only did two episodes last year. Give me Mrs. Maisel. You can binge watch that in one weekend. Grace and Frankie. Well, we're, I want continuity, so I'm finding myself going to the good older stuff. As I don't want to watch something from 2000. 
2003, but I am, but I will. Thank you, Clea. Great insights. Let's go to our next guest. We have Bill, the wine guy. Bill, are you going to raise a glass to us? Go ahead, Bill. Three and a half minutes. You're, you're, you're up. I, I just got coffee, man. I'm in the wine country here on the Pacific Coast. But uh, for friends, but Bonnie, great to be with you. Good to be Thank with uh, new friends and old friends. And again, Happy New Year to everybody. So listen, John hit on supply chain. So we're going to park that for another show and another time. But I am going to touch on some of the things that are going to impact uh, what you drink, what you pay for them, and how you buy in the in the beverage, particularly in the wine industry. So um, no big surprise. Um, we've got some really interesting impacts of climate change happening in the wine and beverage industry currently. Um, Bonnie, we talked about it on this show with several winemakers, I think last year, which is a great episode if viewers want to tune into that. Um, but particularly the problem that came around at the end of the year was the real devastation of the crop harvest last year in Champagne. So they had, um, they had early frost, they had heat. Uh, it was just a fires. Um, and the, the crazy thing about places like Champagne, because it's premier wine, they actually have a governing board that actually regulates the quantities that are going to be harvested, bottled, and sold. And that's not just a one vintage kind of thing. That's a trend that can go on for several years. And interestingly, what we found was is that since Champagne kind of sets the high bar for sparkling wine around the world, you were seeing going into New Year's scarce in different kinds of sparkling wine, cava from Spain, sparkling from uh, California, and also the prices were going up significantly, 20, 30%. On top of that, for those who are familiar with the U.S., we had a significant uh, fire event that actually went into the floor of Napa, which is very unusual. There are a lot of Cabernet makers that are probably going to sit 2021 vintage out this year. So, um, don't want to give everybody too much of a downer on that, but kind of what we pay for and what we get of some of the wines that we're used to seeing on top of supply chain, like John was talking about earlier, that's going to be an impact for the next couple, two, three years. However, I've got some good news. There are new varietals that are starting to emerge, particularly in places like Oregon State, Washington State, even in some of the um, places in California and other parts around the world, even Bordeaux, where they're for, you know, looking at what do we do in an increasingly warm client with our varietals and still be true to our heritage of winemaking. So you've got Tempranillo being grown in uh, Oregon. Uh, you've got uh, different, um, different varietals happening in different places. And people are experimenting with that. And what does it mean to kind of have wine that's reflective of place? So the good news for wine drinkers, you're going to have new opportunities and new varietals that you can choose from. from from places you might not expect in the coming years. And finally, I'll hit on my third topic, which is something about technology, and that's the use of NFTs or non-fungible tokens, blockchain, in the sale of wine. You'd be like, Bill, why are we actually doing this in wine? I'll tell you, there's a lot of theft in wine. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of shady business that's gone on. We've had some pretty massive counterfeit rings in the super, uh, super luxe, ultra premier wine space. So uh, producers, particularly celebrities like NBA uh, superstar Yao Ming, who has his own label, you know, they're actually going to sell bottles 
based on a blockchain. And in some cases, those are only going to be available by cryptocurrency. In other cases, it might just be barrels in terms of vintages or futures. But again, it may or may not be available using cash like we normally transact for wine. This is a whole new space. Watch it very, very carefully, uh, particularly in the uh, ultra premium wine space. So good news. You're going to have new options. You're going to have new ways to buy things, but be a little patient just like you are with getting things for the house based on the current supply demand issues. And uh, those are my three for the year, Bonnie. Thanks again for having me. Thank you, Bill. I want to say skol. I want to say lechayim. I want to say drink up. But Bill, most important, I'm not familiar with what a price point would be and what you call the super luxe level of wines. What are we talking about? Yeah. Hundreds per bottle, thousands. What are we talking about? Yeah, you're in the ballpark here. Premium wine typically goes above a $40 US price point. The ultra premium wines, your you know, collectors, things that people actually generally buy not to drink, but to hold and trade as an asset. You're in the hundreds, if not thousands of dollars per bottle. And Bill, I have yeah, a prediction like on my own. I have a prediction. Yeah. You were going to come on and do a wine travel, wine by location show with me here on Technology Revolution last year, and you canceled because travel was interrupted. We know why. I'm going to predict you're going to come on in April of this year, and you're going to do that show and bring three of your wine friends. You want to do it? Sounds like a great idea, Bonnie. Good. We'll I'll look to it. I'll send the date. Thank you very much. Yep. Patricia Worcester is up next. Patricia, Happy New Year, and welcome. Go for it. Happy New Year. So happy to be here. So happy to meet so many new people. And my predictions are all around content creation and distribution, not just books, but what we find online, what we're finding in our print media. Um, One of the things is with the availability and distribution now through AI, artificial intelligence, My prediction on that is we're going to see a period of time where the quality actually decreases in a lot of the content we're consuming as AI gets better and better, that content and distribution will get better. But right now what we're seeing is a lot of really bad AI stuff is starting to appear, at least in the digital world um, and also in book distribution as people are using AI to create books for themselves, the quality is not there. Um, But what we are seeing now and also because of COVID, we got so used to becoming a paperless environment is the use of QR codes. And so now every single person from your grandmother to, you know, an elementary school kid knows how to use a QR code. So we're starting to see QR codes show up in books to create a experience or like we were talking about earlier with John is gamification um, within books, within workbooks, training materials in education. And with QR codes is amazing because as we're moving into the blockchain, as we're moving into NFTs and the metaverse, those experiences and adding additional experiences when we're using print media is going to become normal. And as we move into the metaverse and start attaching NFTs with authors, it gives them a lot of opportunities. So one of the opportunities is in that you can, you know, buy a book from somebody, you can have a limited edition and somebody can have an NFT attached to it that brings them into content that is only for those participants. It's limited content. So you could take some, you could take Tony Robbins and he could come out with 10,000 NFTs. And only if you own those NFTs, can you go and experience 
personalized content from him. And then that can actually be transferred and sold to somebody else as the hype builds. And so I think we're going to see some of these big celebrities, these big named experts, or even business people start coming out with NFTs that are very limited and create this kind of experience where people want to buy it like that, um, what was it, Yacht Ape or whatever it was called, that NFT that came out and everyone flocked to buy it because now they were part of some exclusive yacht club for owning it. We're going to see that become more normal. And the last prediction really has to do with the blockchain as well. And that's the ownership of content. So for years, we've heard about music artists and how their music is distributed and they are the only ones not benefiting on the back end. This happens with authors as well as Kindle, if you buy a Kindle book, for example, you think you own it. You only own the right to buy, to read it. But if Amazon went out of business, they could absolutely take that content away from you, that digital content. And if somebody sells their Kindle with all their books on it, only they profit, the authors don't. So this is the same with music. And so what we're going to find is contracts now are going to be attached to the artists. So if you sell a book or a digital book or you sell your music to somebody else, that contract is going to have a percentage attached to the original creator. And so everyone gets paid down the chain. And so I think it's going to take a while for this to come about. But I do think particularly the music industry is going to drive this because they have been driving that payment to the creator type thing for years and years and years. So those are my predictions. Thank you. Fascinatingly, you could have an NFT and get exclusive content customized and be part of that that special something. Very, very interesting. Uh, thank you, Patricia. There was something else I want to say, but I'll think of it later. Um, I can't remember it. What can I say? Okay, let's go on. Dale T. Phillips is, I'm going to say chomping at the bit because Dale always is. So Dale T. Phillips, tell us just one sentence about what, what it was like to have Stephen King as your college writing teacher. I have to get that in and then you can do your predictions. Three and a half minutes, go. Thank you, Bonnie, and hello, everyone. Stephen King was a dedicated teacher, an inspiration, a down-to-earth person, which people do not expect, and a craftsman who inspired others, including myself. I mean, a good part of why I'm a writer is because of that, that experience of learning from the best. A man who has written every day for over... 60 years to produce good content uh, to, to share with others. So now give me your predictions. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, I, as an amateur historian, I learned from the past to help deal with situations in the present. And the current day with its challenges of technology, of seismic changes in the world, many people are confused and in disarray. And I think it might be helpful for some to go to a book that was written over 50 years ago, Future Shock by Alvin Toffler. And it, it tells about how change is happening so quickly and compounding change upon change that people are unable to deal with it and absorb it. And I think if they reread that, uh, that might help. I mean, it's, it's still timely today. Now, part of the Technology future has been seismic in so many industries. The indie music scene in the 90s suddenly shifted with the cost of production, distribution, and creation um, made it affordable for independents to go outside of the major record labels, make a living, make money going on tour, and selling their own product that they produced themselves. 
in the past, uh, costs were prohibitive. It was just not, not, didn't have the ability to do it. Now, what followed then was the seismic changes in the publishing industry. Uh, writers are now able, with a set of DIY tools, to go outside of the large, very fewer and fewer traditional publishers and produce books themselves. And with the distribution model of all over the world, 24-7-365, uh, create content and get it out for sale and actually make some money at it. Also, uh, things that were prohibitive before, like the cost of uh, audio production. Uh, now we can we can help partner with companies, create audio books, get those out for sale. So more and more platforms are becoming available. Um, as a prediction for the future, I think one of the uh, next huge shifts is going to be translations. Currently, most of us are limited to a single language or maybe maybe a second, and it is expensive and time-consuming to translate a lot of books, but uh, the technology is creating better and better translators to make that happen. And when companies start uh, affording uh, a translation method for authors to get their books into other uh, languages, you're going to see an explosion. If you think there's a lot of books now to be read that you can't keep up, just wait until you can read it from every other culture in the world. There's seven billion people on the planet. And that is an almost infinite pie for everyone, for authors and creators. And uh, I like Patricia's uh, comments on a lot of what she was saying. And it's, yes, industry after industry is shifting and forced to adapt to the new technology and create a different lifestyle for the creators as well as everyone else. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Taylor. I wasn't sure if you were done. I appreciate it. My quick comment to Patricia was that uh, Mac OS and its uninfinite wisdom last year disabled access to Kindle. So when authors for my Monday Night Creativity show send me a Kindle link, I it, it shows up and then it's gone in 10 seconds. There is no way to access Kindle, which is very interesting. Not exactly on point with you, but we have to move on. We're getting tight on time. Dr. George Vinay, you're up, my friend. You're on full screen speaker view, three and a half minutes. Let's keep it tight. I can't wait to hear your predictions. George, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. <sighs> My comments are going to be unfolding in real time with no plan. And the reason is, is because when I sit in the consulting room, whether with a youth, uh, an elementary school kid, maybe a high schooler, even a college, as well as the adults in private practice, they're coming in, something's broken down, something stopped their plan, and we begin to listen. Now, if if you take that daily experience of me sort of steeping in that sort of conversation, and then we bring next to it, and I'm sort of imagining a, a tarot card reader since we're crystal ball gazing, I'm laying one card, then another card, then another card, and then putting a speech together. Technology is also whirling past at an accelerated rate. Uh, all sorts of creative things are coming along that are responding to the current situations and demands. Um, so how, how does one link these two? There is an idea from a most phenomenal book called The Black Swan. I don't know if some of uh, your listeners are familiar with the book, but it's a lovely book and it's called uh, The Black Swan, The Impact of the Highly Probable. 
And the idea is, is that so many times our predictions unfold based on what we know and then extend out from there. But the most significant culture-changing, life-changing events happen completely unexpectedly. 9-11 changed everything. When I met my wife and I had no idea I was going to work that day and I would meet her and she would have ultimately become my wife, my, my life changed incredibly. The discovery of the internet, laser, and the computer were not planned projects. They happened. And then we made something out of them. The same thing with penicillin, as you probably know, there, it was an accident. Mold grew on in a Petri dish and it ended up being a fortuitous discovery. So people come into therapy and we listen. And if, it, if technology is moving very quickly, here's a line that unfolded one day in, in conversation with someone. This is a, a little poetic image. It takes some time for an embodied image to form as psyche, full of feeling in the soul. Our world is too fast, concerned only with quick fi fixes, fast gains, planning. One must give up the grasping, the seeking, the incessant higher striving and give in to humility, quiet reception, to a sort of listening only the wound will do. Now in The Black Swan, he says, the way to proceed of trying to attune to the highly improbable outlying event that will change everything that cannot be predicted is to listen to synchronicities, meaningful chances, things that unfold in your day that have meaning and yet appear as completely by chance. Out of that then, when folks come into the therapy room and we contemplate the future of their lives or the culture or the world or climate change, et cetera, we're listening very deeply to hear what the signs are what the synchronicities are. And it mostly comes in my work through dreams. Dreams are creating a kind of creative new imagination, producing new metaphors that help us see something that we were unable to see before. And so as we contemplate the 2022 and the years ahead, may we turn to our dreams and listen and communicate and exchange these collaboratively. In Hollywood now, more and more actors, directors, producers are doing dream work collaboratively because as they're working on a project, the dreams begin producing creative metaphors and new imaginings. So from that, then, I would uh, make my humble offering that we deeply listen to what is being dreamt up in the psyche and, and begin to artistically and creatively manifest what shows up there. Thank you, George. Always profound, always poetic, always beautiful. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank, I, thank could, you, I could see everybody's responses. A little bit different pace and tempo when George speaks. Thank you. Karen Gibson, you're up. I'm going to tell you all now we have Karen, then we have Deslin, and then we have Ryan. And let's keep it to three minutes apiece. We're looking at 12 minutes left to the show, and I want to make sure you all get your time. So go ahead. Karen, you're up, my dear. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Bonnie. My crystal ball prediction for 2022 is that parents will start realizing the importance of their children's emotional and mental health 
over academic achievements. I think a lot of times children feel that their worth is defined by grades or whether they get into their dream college. And parents will realize that, you know, they need to love their children unconditionally and stop focusing on getting that dream scholarship or being in that perfect relationship or finding that perfect career. So I think the pandemic has forced us to shift our priorities. And this year in 2022, we will focus more on self-care, you know, our mental health and our physical health as well. The pandemic continues to leave us like feeling powerless over continued, right, and unpredictability. So parents will realize the importance of being a positive role model as children tend to mimic us. So it's going to be extra important for us to not only be aware of what we do, but just the energy that we give when we speak to our children. Self-care will be the word for 2022 because children lacked a lot of um, inconsistency, right, during quarantine, during distance learning. They didn't feel that support. So we are going to be focusing on coping skills and rebuilding friendships and just having the community and consistency. Those will be um, trending topics for parents this year. Um, TikTok, a lot of you folks might be aware of it. It is a safe place, I think. We have short attention spans, so in less than 30 seconds, you can find you know, like-minded individuals um, who share your similar struggles, and you'll be entertained and find some solutions. I actually made 100 TikToks um, based on my 100 parenting tips, and it was fun. Deslan you know, introduced me to it, and I thought, I can't do a TikTok. And now I think everyone from a three-year-old to a 93-year-old, you know, they're doing their own TikToks and entertaining the world. So most of all, I think parents in 22 will learn just the value of letting go with Aloha, no matter where, where you live in the world, and just realize that we need to start trusting, you know, our children's journey instead of controlling it with what we think is the best for them. And external achievements will be replaced with just focusing on our mental, you know, and emotional health, online resources, support, connecting with other parents, um, you know, doctors and naturopaths and just everyone. We need to just know that in 2022, self-love, self-care and just working on our children's self-esteem and just role modeling what that is all about. So self-care is the buzzword for 2022. Thank you, Karen. Aloha and self-care for parents and grandparents as well. I'll say that. And self-love and self-trust. Thank you, dear. Deslin Hakias, you're up three and a half minutes tight. And Ryan Walsh, you get ready. You're going to close us out. Go ahead, Deslin. Okay, aloha, guys. Um, I I wanted to share that I think um, going into 2022, we'll continue to focus on normalizing, on discussing grief, mental health, and the importance of healing. Um, you know, for, for too long, um, many of us, uh, you know, if you were born in the 70s or earlier, uh, we weren't given the opportunity to share our feelings and our emotions and, and to speak about grief and mental health. What was that back then? And now... Um, you know, you, you, you put us in a situation where we're all isolated, that everybody turns to social media platforms, and it levels the playing field for all generations to be able to share their thoughts and feelings about the topics of grief, about um, mental health, and, um, you know, talking about just the, the importance of healing. Uh, 
maybe before we weren't given permission to express ourselves or to to go and get therapy. And now, um, you know, we're able to have telehealth. There's all these uh, different apps that were created so that we would be able to have ways to to find calming and to calm your mind and, and to heal. Um, you know, no one was ever really um, understanding for like for me, I came from immigrant. Um, great grandparents are immigrants. Um, when you're in survival mode, no one's really given the permission to express that I'm having a hard time. Whereas now, you know, in the beginning, people are judging the younger kids because they started like with TikTok dancing and whatnot. And now you notice that there's an integration of people all up into like their 90s on TikTok, on Instagram, and there's a mesh of of generations. And and I find that there's a lot of empathy and compassion to normalize that, you know, although you feel isolated and you feel alone, you're not alone because I'm here with you. And um, by allowing people to not feel alone, um, they're able to, to heal and to have hope. Um, in the world that we live in, um, we're, we're adapting. We're trying to adapt to what was and what will be. Um, we're adapting to changes in our careers and we're also adapting in not being able to go back to what we thought was normal. And so um, I think in 2022, um, we'll teach people, it's not about getting over it, it's learning um, strategies and tools to be able to process our pain and our emotions and feelings so that we can um, feel productive and hopeful for um, the years to come. Thank, Thank you. you, Deslin. What a beautiful message. Thank you. Bill is applauding. I'm, I've got tears. <laughs> Ryan Walsh, you've got three and a half minutes, and then we're going to close. And thank you for your patience, Ryan. Somebody had to be first, and somebody had to be last. So, Ryan Walsh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I would say that my first prediction really revolves around the increased expectations that people have, um, particularly around delivery and, and how they get their goods, um, whether it's uh, you know an Uber Eats meal or grocery delivery. We're seeing people expect these things to pop up and, and pop up cheap and quick and faster than anything we've seen. Um, there was a couple of studies done a few years ago about really where the, the equilibrium and the inflection point for automation came and it really revolved around the minimum wage and, and when minimum wage started hitting $15 an hour, uh, we were going to start seeing some really big movements towards automation and with the current labor shortage, which I don't see getting any better in the short term, um, you know, you're not finding people for jobs at, at fast food restaurants for 15, 18, 20 dollars an hour. And so it's really creating this incentive for these companies to automate. Um, and so, you know, the, that really leads into the third prediction where autonomous vehicles, autonomous delivery, drones, electric vehicles, um, they're really going to start taking shape over the next year or two. Um, it's really proven to be the only way we can uh, alleviate some of this pressure on our last mile logistics. Um, and for those of you that don't know, last mile is 53% of all costs involved in getting you something. So if you order something from China, over half the cost is in the last few miles from the fulfillment center to your house. Um, and so having a way to reduce those costs and keep people's expectations high is uh, really only allowed through electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, drones, etc. cetera. Uh, so we really think this is the, the coming of age and, and kind of the peak of when we start seeing those 
uh, opportunities and technologies start hitting the market. That's it. Ryan Walsh, I want you to bring me a drone topic for this series for this year. Will you get in touch with me, please? Done. Love it. Okay. Bring, don't bring that plane down. Okay. I want to thank Anjali. I want to thank John. I want to thank Clea. I want to thank Bill. I want to thank Patricia. I want to thank Dale. I want to thank George. I want to thank Karen. I want to thank Deslin. And I want to thank Ryan. You have all been wonderful for playing in the sandbox with me. We, we actually have three minutes left. So what we're going to do is a quick round. I'm going to ask you what was your favorite holiday drink, if you can remember back from December 2021. So just one word or one sentence, that's all we have. Anjali, what was your favorite drink over the holiday? Veet, veet, fast. Bourbon. Always bourbon. Whoa! John Lester, what were you drinking? Only bourbon. Oh, okay. Pour the bourbon. Clea. Well, I'll take a, a variant on that. I perfected the bourbon old-fashioned. Whoa! Bill Newman, I bet wine. How much Lux was in your cup, Bill? No, I actually did a bourbon cream, so I'm going to stay on trend with everybody. It was outstanding. Well, this is a my He usually does Irish cream. Patricia, what were you drinking? Well, I'm in sunny Florida, so it was Prosecco. Okay, nice. Dale, what was in your cup, your mug, your stein, your flute? What was in, Dale? Oh, I, I took a tip from the dude in the Big Lebowski and switched to White Russians. There you go. Okay, no <laughs> politics involved. George, what were you drinking? Uh, Nighty Armenian Brandy. Whoa. Just exquisite, just exquisite. Thank you for the recommendation, Karen. What was in your cup? One of my favorite drinks in the 80s, the B-52, Grand Marnier, Kahlua, and Bailey's. Oh, I have a sip of Kahlua left. I have a little a little Bailey's and I have a Grand Marnier, but I'd be flat on the floor in 10 seconds. <laughs> Just with inhaling, it would knock me out. Deslin, what were you drinking? You know, I hardly drink, but um, what I've been drinking when I do is Terramana, um, rum, wood, and on um, juice. <laughs> Thank you. And Ryan Walsh, what was in your cup? Ryan? Scotch. Scotch. Okay. Gosh. What an interesting mix. I want all of you to help me close the show. You've all been wonderful. I send hugs and kisses to all of you remote and otherwise. I want you to wag your finger. Everybody, come on. Everybody, Dale, look up. Wag your finger. Wag your finger. If somebody says to you, the future is already here, on the count of three, join me with no, no, no. One, two, three. No, no, no. no, no. no. And because that was yesterday's future and today's future hasn't happened yet and we're all here to make it a better one. So Bonnie D. Graham, thank you so much to all of you. I have one more week of my prediction special. Thank you to our viewers, our listeners. Don't go away. We're going to take take some pictures. And Aaron Keller, everybody say thank you, Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire. And Aaron got a promotion at Voice America. He is now the client success coordinator as well as my live radio engineer. So Aaron, Mazel tov. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye, LinkedIn. Bye, bye Facebook. Don't- Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh